like I said in the first service, it's hard to preach after that. Um, I really do appreciate that, Mark, and I will re relish the time of sitting and, and being encouraged by your words, so thank you. But let's turn and be encouraged by God's word from Joshua chapter 1, Joshua chapter 3, Joshua chapter 4, which I'll read in a minute, and you can go ahead and put the screen up since I'm not going to have the time in between. Um, in the summer of 1989, uh, Nancy and I moved from Columbia, South Carolina to um, Wilmington, North Carolina. I spent two years in Columbia being on the Young Life staff, and then I became the area director in Wilmington in 1989. And when, I, when we moved here, we lived in an apartment sort of near the campus of UNCW, and we decided to buy, buy our first house. And we bought this little starter home, 1,200 square feet, in Fox Run Farm. It's not that far from Cape Fear Academy. And when we bought that house, many of our friends said, way out there, like you're going to move, what? I mean, that's like almost a monkey junction. Who lives out there anymore? I mean, and, and, and if, you, if some of you old school will remember, it was just a skinny little two-lane road out to, to monkey junction. And we bought a little starter home out there in 1990, and uh, it cost us $70,000, and I looked on Zillow uh, this week. It sells for three twenty-five. So I really wish I'd bought a whole lot more houses at that point. <laughs> it's amazing, amazing. We bought this little house in a cul-de-sac, and there was an easement behind the house. There were a lot of trees, and because we had sort of this wide, sort of pie-shaped um, area, uh, we weren't very close to our neighbor to the right, but we were very close to our neighbor to the left. And I decided. I'm just going to build sort of just a barrier, a fence right here. I don't need a gate. I don't need to turn a corner. I'm just going to put up a sort of a wall, put some bushes next to it, get a little privacy. And I thought, how hard is it? I mean, I've seen at Lowe's, they have these panels that are already put together. So all you have to do is get these eight panels and just tack them up next to some boards, you know, some, uh, some pilings. And so I thought, well, I, I can do this, even though I've told my friends that my toolbox contains a hammer and a cell phone. So if I can do a project with a hammer, I'm great. But if the project requires anything more than a hammer, I must call someone because I am not that handy. But I thought this is really a project that only requires a hammer. I've got to put up these panels, tack them up, and you've got an instant fence. So I did. I put these posts in, nine posts, and I got these panels, and I put the first panel up and just sort of tacked it in, stood back to make sure it looked straight. Sure enough, I was like, wow, this is awesome. So this is going to be so easy. And so I just measured it to make sure it was just right, and I discovered that on the end that was going to connect to the next panel, it was a quarter of an inch off the ground, a little too high. And I thought, well, I don't care. Nobody's going to notice a quarter of an inch. So I get the next panel, and I put it up, and of course it starts a quarter of an inch off the ground, and I realize as I'm holding this panel up, this end's going to be three inches off the ground. And I am going to notice that. And then I realized, a quick calculation, if I start with three inches, it's going to get higher. And after eight panels, I calculated my, feet, my fence would be 30 feet off the ground. <laughs> so not quite fulfilling the purpose of a fence. And so what I realized is i got to go back and make this foundational panel just right. It wouldn't have mattered if it was the only panel, but if another panel is going to connect to it, it's got to be just right. And I used that illustration 21 years ago today. 
to say, hey, we're founding a church and we're going to, we, we are, and we still are going to just be the first panel. If you're in this room, you're really just the first panel. But we trust that and if the Lord tarries, there's going to be more panels after us. So we have to make sure we get it just right. Because even if we're a quarter of an inch off, it might not seem like much right now. But for Rhett, when he connects to it and his son connects to it, then it gets further and further away from the truth. And we've seen this in churches and throughout history. So we want to make sure we, we come back every year to this sermon. And I preach the same sermon with the same three points. And it's a great sermon, even if you've heard it 20 times already. Uh, just to remind ourselves to say, hey, when we started, these are the things that we thought were really critical to the foundation. And we just want to remind ourselves of these same critical pieces. And there are three of them, because every good sermon has three points. First of all, for these foundations, you have to have godly leadership. You have to have God's word. And you have to have courage. Those are the three points. So I'm going to read Joshua, beginning in chapter 1, several different verses from 1, 3, and 4, and you follow along with me. Joshua 1.1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over the Jordan, you and all this people, to the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you, Joshua. I will not leave you or forsake you Joshua be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them only be very strong and courageous being careful to do according to the law all that Moses my servant has commanded you do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth You shall meditate on it day and night, being careful to do everything that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, Joshua, be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Sittim, and they came to Jordan. He and all the people of Israel, and they lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord, your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and the ark, 2,000 cubits, just about 1,000 yards. Don't come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go. For you have not passed this way before. Joshua chapter 4 verse 19. Then the people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month. And they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the river Jordan 
Joshua set up at Gilgal, and he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did at the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Let's pray. Lord, we come to this text, and we want to remember... And we want to take heart to these things, to not stray from your word, even a quarter of an inch, to have courage, to put into places of leadership men who will listen to you and and follow after you as we lead people towards the real promised land, the place of rest in heaven with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John Maxwell, in his book, in any of his books, he opens with this line, everything falls and rises and falls on leadership, comma, everything. Well, it's true. It's not true just because John Maxwell says it. It's true because that's how the Bible is written. In Genesis chapter 1, God sets up leadership. Adam and Eve are formed. Genesis 1, 27. Remember it says they're made in God's image. Male and female, he made them. And he starts out saying, hey, I'm, I'm making you in my image. And you don't come out as balls of Play-Doh that you can just create your own image. No, you're in God's image. And part of that imaging is being male and being female. Now, that's a very difficult text for us today in our culture, but that's how God orchestrated things, and he also orchestrated with Adam and Eve that Adam would be the leader. He's the one who's supposed to protect his wife. He's the one who's supposed to make God look great and glorious, and when we come to the fall in Genesis 3, really the the problem is a failure of leadership. It's not so much to do with the serpent's words or Eve's instructions, it's really a failure on Adam's part. And you know that because when God comes back into the garden after the fall, remember what's the very first thing he says? Adam, where are you? Not, hey, hey guys, what happened? Eve, I saw that. I mean, he doesn't say that. Why? Because he set up a leadership structure and he's going to operate according to the structure that he set up. So he comes back and says, Adam, you were the one who was supposed to protect your wife. You were the the one who was supposed to to protect me. You were the one who was supposed to protect the world. And Adam, when you fell, everything fell. Paul Phillips fell in that. You fell in that. Creation fell in that. It's true what Maxwell says. Everything rises or falls on leadership. And in this case, Adam's leadership. Now, we we turn to the book of Joshua. You could say Joshua gets a version of Adam's assignment. Joshua is now leading the people back into the promised land. It's like moving them back into a new garden. And God wants to give some instructions. And one of the primary instructions comes in chapter 4, verse 24. He says, after you've passed over, you're going to set up these stones. And the people are going to ask why these stones are here. 
And it says in verse 24, they're going to look at him, and it's going to be so that the people of the earth may know the hand of the Lord is mighty. I want to make sure, Joshua, that the primary purpose of your leadership is to make God look good. And for you to have a healthy fear of the Lord, that you're not the same as the Lord, like Adam and Eve may have thought they were. He's holy and you're not, and there's some separation. And the role is to make God look glorious. We say it when we say the Westminster Confession of Faith. Question number one, what's the chief end of man? What's the answer to that? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's, that's not just Adam's chief end. It's not Joshua's chief end. It's everyone's chief end is to, to, to use your talents in a way that looks, makes much of God and not much of ourselves. So we come back to Joshua chapter 1, and he's given this special assignment. And it would be easy to skip over how difficult this leadership moment in 1-1 is for Joshua because it feels like the Israelites are stuck. So God has to come down in verse 2, and he says this, Moses, my servant, is dead. And you just got to wonder, Joshua's like, uh, I know that. Like, of course he knows that. But I think the feeling here is they've gotten stuck. Imagine why. Forty years. Moses, the man of God, the man who knew God face to face, the friend of God. The man who shows up at, uh, at the mountain with Jesus in the New Testament. I mean, this was a man like very few men. And he's passed away, and it feels like nobody can be at the tip of the spear right now. And so God has to come back and remind Joshua, hey, when Moses went off the scene, I didn't go off the scene. I mean, Moses was a great instrument, but he was an instrument in my hands. And now I'm picking you up, Joshua, and you're going to be that same instrument. So he has to motivate Joshua and the Israelites to move forward, to remind Joshua that he, God's still at work through godly leadership. Now, why is that important for us to remember now 21 years later? Well, I don't know when I'm going to retire, but I think I'm closer to the end than I am the beginning. Lord willing, I don't know if I can do 21 more years. I'll be 81. Um, and at some point, you all, and especially the elders, are going to have to find another person to be at the tip of the spear for Christ Community Church. And it's critical. It's really critical that you choose somebody who understands, knows, and trusts God before they understand, know, and trust themselves or trust the world. We always get together as a family on weekends, uh, Founders Day weekend. We have laughs uh, about me singing that song, or we packed up our little Honda Civic with diapers that we bought at Walmart the night before. We had the kids get their toys, and those became the toys for the nursery. And Nancy served in the nursery for five months straight before she came to her first service. So we all made certain sacrifices. But they're fun memories now. Uh, but we all are amazed how quickly it goes. I said this before, the days are long, but years are short. And uh, I had a friend, Nathan, uh, was in here, the first service, who's pastor here in town. He's on his sabbatical. And we have a group that meets once a month. And we we'll always say, hey, we're all interim pastors. And we all are the senior pastor of our ch respective churches. But we all know we're, we're a link in a chain. And 
Right now it's important, but we're just, you know, we're one link, and then there's going to be many links, Lord willing, behind us. So we have to make sure that we have godly leaders, and there's two characteristics that I pointed out 21 years ago that I want to point out again here today. Two characteristics of godly leadership. We see in chapter 1, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Joshua. The Lord still speaks through his word. And we have to have a leader who this is his primary text. It's not somebody who's being swayed by the mood of the congregation or the mood of the culture or their own mood. But we have people who follow God's word. If you remember Timothy's words or Paul's words to Timothy, preach the word in season and what? Out of season. Well, as, as a church, we might be headed to an out-of-season culture. And we're going to have to have people, not just me, but leaders who trust this word even when it seems out of season. And one of the greatest distractions from following God's word, even for men who want to, is to attach novelty or popularity to it. To somehow, uh, the word that I heard from somebody was to, to manufacture all. It's, it's like God's word has kind of gotten a little stale over time, so we need to jazz it up with something from the outside to get people going, wow, that was awesome. And then you go, hey, let me slip in the Bible. And what we're trying to do here is say, hey, God is really awesome. And he can come to you at a Latino festival and speak through one man who has compassion and change. It doesn't need to be very fancy. One reality television show that I use every year, several years ago, they were trying to get off the ground, and it was going to be called Pulpit Masters. And here was their little tagline, could you be America's next inspired leader? <laughs> to make, listen to this, I love how this happens, it happens all the time now, to make a difference in millions of people's lives? How about what if you just made a difference in one life? Would that be okay? No, no, no. We want somebody who's going to make a difference in millions of people's lives. That, that's so part of our culture, and it gets seeped into our church culture. Are you filled with the fire and passion of God? Are, are you looking for someone? We are looking for somebody who can wow the pants off an audience. You feel that? Manufactured all. At Christ Community, we'd like to keep your pants on. I mean, if that's okay. <laughs> we're, we're, not try, we're not trying to manufacture something. I, just this last Christmas, I don't know, I sent this meme out to a couple people, but a church in, in Texas, uh, a big church was trying to celebrate, was celebrating Christmas. They needed to sort of manufacture all. Like, you need to manufacture all at Christmas. But they needed to, and just singing Christmas hymns wasn't enough. So what they did is they put this Christmas sort of pageant on and they had uh, little uh, drummers that were drumming these little drums and it was like five of them across the stage and they all were wire harnessed to a, a track in the ceiling so at some point the fog machines came on and they started doing their drummer and they all lifted up and then they all went across the congregation above them now I'm thinking Pete Bosco John that'd be awesome right he just Lift it up and he. I mean, I don't know what you think about that, but it, fe it feels at least in part 
Jesus' incarnation is not awesome. Or it's not quite awesome enough, so we got to do something that seems sort of spectacular, and we got to insert God into it. And at Christ Community Church, we want to make sure you understand, we want to remember God is awesome. He's awesome all by himself. He uses instruments. He uses voices. But he's awesome. It's important to remember that, especially when you come to to church, is that on Sunday morning, to, to remember, you're not the primary target. You're not my primary target when I'm preaching. God is my primary target. I'm going to answer to him. And when you come to worship, it's not to be impressed with other people or to be impressed with these people. It's we're all coming to worship, not for each other, but to worship God. He's the primary target for every one of us. This was sort of driven home in our very first year. Uh, we started around the Easter season. And so the, 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 the week of Easter, I said, hey, why don't we do just something at noon that anybody could come to? It's a 30-minute thing, and it'll be at Temple Baptist, now the YMCA. And it's in a small room because I knew not a lot of people could get off, but you could just come by for 30 minutes. And we had a song. We had a little scripture. We listened to music. I said something maybe for five or six minutes. Then we prayed, and it was just a way to sort of begin your turning your mind towards Easter. And on Monday, five or six people came. I did my little thing. Tuesday, five or six people came. I did my little thing. Wednesday, uh, 12.05, nobody's there. 12.10, nobody's there. And I was like, okay, well, I'll go get a sub. I mean, I don't know what I thought, but I, I wasn't going to, nobody showed up. And I just sat there, and then, in, in not an audible voice, but God was like, well, I'm here. I mean, Paul, you say you do it for me, so, but it feels like right now you're doing it for the people to show up. So it was just a, a humbling moment. And so for the next 30 minutes, I did my little thing to God. I sang the song. I sat and listened to it. I preached to God because nobody else was there. But it was, see, you see, it was just a reminder to say, Paul, let's make sure you got your heart right. Because I don't, I don't care if five people show up or 500. I care about if I show up and you're connected to me, not connected to your crowd. And so we have to make sure when, when it's my time to leave and it's somebody else's time to stand up, they, they have that same cord. They're not trying to, to, to be awesome or be bigger than life or do things. They're trying to to lift up the Lord and make him look great. The second characteristic is that the person has to be a servant. In chapter 1, servant of the Lord is used three times to refer to Moses. He was a servant. This man's got to be one of the greatest men on earth, and he's a servant. Jesus comes to say, I didn't come to, to be served, but to serve. Anyone who would follow after me must serve. So we're all servants, and that has to be the first characteristic or one of the primary characteristics of the leader. In the New Testament, leader is used less than two, 10 times as a word. Servant is used over 1,000 times. Just to make sure that in our leadership culture, in the church culture, it means service. It looks like service. Uh, the beginning of the um, Methodist church started with John Wesley, 
He was five foot two, and he preached over 40,000 sermons in his lifetime, which is amazing. At 83, he got angry at his doctor because he wouldn't let, the doctor wouldn't let him preach more than 14 times any week. 86, here's his journal entry, laziness is slowly creeping in. There is an increasing tendency for me to stay in bed after 5.30 in the morning. Can you imagine that? John Wesley, what kind of man are you? He has a statue in England. At the bottom it says this, Reader, if you feel constrained to praise the instrument, don't. Give God the glory. Just, just a reminder, hey, he started the Methodist Church. He's got a lot of books and lots, lots of things to say, great things about John Wesley, which is worthwhile. But he wants to make sure, and I want to make sure, it's not about the instrument. It's about the hand that is holding the instrument. And that person has to be a servant, not a savior. Secondly, we've got to have a, a godly leader, but we have to have a, a person who's really, truly connected to God's word. That it's, it's the plumb line for everything. When you're building something straight like a fence, you have a little chalk line that you snap and it shows you this is the straight line. So whenever you put something up next to it, even though it may look straight in your mind, if it's not straight according to the chalk line, then you're off. And you've got to make an adjustment. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about God's word. And God comes in with two ways to describe this to Joshua. And I love how he does it because once he just verbally gives instruction. So that's great for the auditory learner. You know, the person who loves to just sit in a lecture and listen to somebody. And they get all of what they have to download. That's not me. I'm a visual learner. I need a picture. I need an illustration. I need something that I can see. So God comes in and says, I'm going to download some information for you. Then I'm going to give you visual instructions about following my word. The verbal exhortation comes in verse, verse 7 and 8, chapter 1. Be strong and courageous. Careful to do everything written in my word. See, it's not just courage just out in the word. It's courage to follow God's word. Don't, be, don't turn to the right or left, not even a quarter of an inch. Make sure the word never departs from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. God knows that Joshua is entering this culture, and it's like a fast or a swift-moving river. And he's not going to be able to just to stand still if he's not very careful because it wants to carry them away quickly. I don't know if you remember this story. True story happened about this time last year. A guy was in a, a private plane flying from the Bahamas back to Florida. And while he was in there with just the pilot, the pilot passed out. And I don't know if the pilot died, but he never came back while they were in the plane. This guy does not know how to fly a plane. He liked if I were in the plane. And so he gets on the radio, and here's the exact quote. We have a serious situation here. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if the guy was screaming. I mean, I would have been screaming. I would have been crying. <laughs> we have a serious situation. The pilot has passed out, and I have no idea how to fly an airplane. So the ground control comes back. What's your position? And his, his answer is, I don't have any idea. Fortunately, the operator had been an instructor for pilots in this very aircraft. 
And so what he did is he got a picture of the cockpit and all the controls, and he sat there on the ground, and he looked at everything this guy was going to look at, and he said to this man, you've got to follow everything I tell you, and we're going to get you on the ground. Now, do you think that guy said, well, I'm going to only follow like 50% of what you're going to say? <laughs> no. You could be like, can you say it three times because I don't want to turn left or do something up or down. I want to make sure I've got every little detail. Even if I'm a quarter of an inch off, if you're in an airplane, that could be disaster. Do you see the point? We don't know where we're going. I mean, I know some of you are smart and you think you know where you're going. But if you get old enough, most of, most of us have aged well enough to know I thought I knew what was going to happen back there, but I had no idea. But what I can do in all those times is I can listen to the person who's got the instruction manual and say, Paul, do it this way. I love Zocoro's testimony and her courage to be transparent to say, I, I got disconnected and I flew my plane into the ground. Now, fortunately, we have a guy who can, a God who can pull those planes back together. But we need somebody, and we need to all be this person. We're going to follow after in the instructions, and if the world says, you should be turning left here, and it doesn't say that here, then we're just not going to turn left. Then he has this visual illustration. The Ark of the Covenant is going to go before. Don't come near it. That's God's presence. You need this 1,000-yard barrier. Why? It says it in the text. Because you don't know where you're going. You've never been this way before. So you need a lot of lead time. And we don't want to get your word and my word connected too closely. We need to make sure there's space to say this is how God's moving. I want to make an adjustment according to him. I listened to a podcast this past week by a guy named Sam Altman. Some of you know that name. He's the creator of ChatGPT. Some of you don't know what that is. I don't have the vocabulary to explain it to you because <laughs> uh, I barely understand it. But it's this new open AI sourcing that I only understood half of what he said, and it was frightening, that half, because of speed at which things can happen. And the ethical things that come up with that speed. And who's really real and who's not. And is it okay if I, I use this in part or is that going to be unhealthy? I mean, I think about Graham and Morgan. They're going to they're gonna really have to figure this out. Because their kids are never going to know a world that doesn't have AI mixed into their world. And what's okay? What's, what's good? What's like creating fire and going, hey, this is good? But where, where's the fire? Get out of the fireplace and say, hey, we're burning our house down. See, th these are things that we're going to have to know. And this is uh, the true north. In the midst of all the things that are happening and the speed at which it's happening, we've got to pe be, have people who understand and can deliver God's word. Final point, it's going to take courage. Again, three times said in the first chapter, be strong and courageous. It's a little surprising because Joshua has been with Moses all his life. He's seen all these things. He's a general. And he's been at the tip of the spear in fights already. 
Yet God has to say to this man who would be the man that you would want at the front of the line, hey, you're going to have to be strong and courageous. Well, the reason he says it three times is probably because there are going to be some things that are going to be very hard. Joshua knows it's going to be hard because he's been into the promised land before. You remember the story? And they come back and say, we should go in. Joshua and Caleb says we should go in. And what do the other people say? Oh, they're giants in there. We look like grasshoppers. When you get out of these doors, there are giants outside. They really are. And you're just like, I don't, I don't, ha- I don't even, I'm not smart enough to even know what the problems are, what the questions are to ask. They just seem so overwhelming. But we're going to be called to go out and stand in that place. But Joshua always knows, also knows this. What was one of the biggest problems for Moses? It was the people he's leading. How many times do they say, hey, can we go back to Egypt? See, you got, you've got to have somebody who has courage who can take arrows from front and behind and just say, hey, we're doing our best to stay right here. No matter where the arrows come from, you're going to have to have somebody who says, I've, I've got the courage to stand after they cross the river, chapter 4, it's this dry bed, and there's 12 tribes of Israel. And Joshua gets one guy from every tribe to go get a stone out of the middle of the riverbed. So they get these stones, and they come out on the promised land side, and they stack them up together in a way that if you pass by, you'd say, why are these 12 stones here? And it's called an Ebenezer. It's called the stone of help. Like, God must have done something here, and we don't know it, but we're passing by and we're asking questions, and he's saying, when, when your children pass by, you tell them. You tell them God was faithful. That's, that's the main thing Graham and Morgan have to do. When we had the first uh, service, we had uh, Jesse and Kyle Myers. They had their child. It's the same thing. You've got to say, you know you've been by this before. You've seen it with your parents, you've seen it with you, you've seen it with your, your son. We know, we know, we know. Socorro knew. And she needed somebody to come by and say, I'm going to pray for you. Because I think you know. And I just want to remind you of something you know. So every year we come back just to say, let's, let's remind ourselves what we know. So we don't get too far off. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for your word. It is a light unto our path. It is the bread of life. No matter how much we may eat from the world, there's only one thing that really satisfies us, and that's you, and it's found through digesting your word. It's the word that's sharper than a double-edged sword, and we are grateful for 21 years to stand on your word, and I pray for many, many years well beyond my time until you return, that there would be this church that just wouldn't have strayed to the right or to the left, as difficult as it may be, as popular or dwindling as it may be at any point, just we're committed to that. We're grateful that you're committed to us even when we fly our planes, our lives into the ground. You're with us. Don't be discouraged. 
Don't be dismayed. For the Lord your God, he is still with us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.